Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Of John chapters 18 verses 12 through 27. Let us listen together to the word of God. So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken anything wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Anas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are also one of the disciples, aren't you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and at that moment, the cock crowed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, I became aware of an article by an American theologian that began in this way. It may be that the greatest moral problems of the individual or of a society arise when there is nothing to be done. The issue is brought home to us, he continued, by the fighting in the East. We are chafing at the bit. We are eager to do something constructive. But there is nothing constructive, it seems, that we can do. Those words were written by a man named L. Richard Niebuhr, but they weren't published this past month. 
but rather 90 years ago this month. He was talking about the invasion of Manchuria that had happened in the fall of 1931, calling into question not only Japan's attempts to expand its footprint on the globe, but what the global response to it should be. And so in Christian Century Magazine, he wrote this article called The Grace of Doing Nothing. The next week, there was a follow-up article. It was written by his brother and fellow theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, who called his piece, Must We Do Nothing? Dallas Gingles, who is a professor today at Perkins School of Theology, shared those two articles in an opinion piece he wrote recently for the Dallas Morning News. And he told of how he had students over the years read both of those pieces, really to lift up the question of what is our understanding of God's responsibility in the world? And what is it as people of faith that we are being called to do? Gingles pointed out that neither of the Niebuhr brothers really offered a solution to what was happening in Manchuria, but instead raised that larger question of that understanding of God and of what God seeks for us to do. Gingles wrote, following the Niebuhr's, it may be helpful for us to think about what our response to an international threat, in this case, Russian invasion of Ukraine, tells us about our own assumptions about God. The reason for this is not that political issues are nothing more than an opportunity for theological speculation. Rather, he says, they are genuine problems that threaten wide-scale loss of human life and they require our attention on their own terms. I'd like for us to engage in that kind of reflection this morning. The horrors of what continues to happen in Ukraine breaks our hearts and causes us to feel strongly that there is something that we must do. And clearly, the collections that are happening here and elsewhere are one way that we can respond, one way that we can do something. Reaching out to our elected officials is another. And yet, there's this real sense, I think, for many of us, of feeling helpless as we watch all of that unfold. The world of today is very different from it, what it was on February 23rd, the day before that invasion began. And so I'd like for us to ponder together as people of faith how it is that we might best respond. During this season of Lent, we are following a series of moments in John's Gospel in which Jesus is literally handed over from one person or a group to another. It began at the time of his arrest. It continued up to the time of his death. And that is going to be our focus in these weeks together 
of those moments when Jesus is passed on to some other person or group. Becca got us started in that reflection last Sunday, recalling the moment when Judas betrayed Jesus, handing him over to Jewish officials, and how this arresting party came to the Garden of Gethsemane to take Jesus away. It was as part of that time that Jesus began to pose questions to those who would arrest him. And in her sermon, Becca invited us to ponder too, what are the questions that we wish to raise of Jesus? The text that we heard just moments ago offers the next two times that Jesus is handed over and there are moments that are filled with queries too. For we heard John describe how a group of soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police took Jesus from the garden, and their first stop was with Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest, Caiaphas. Now, in that era, the high priest served as the kind of overseeing official for the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, and thus they were delegated all the issues related to the religious life of the people of ancient Palestine. And yet the reality is that the high priest served at the pleasure of Rome. And so it was that Annas had actually been removed from that role two decades before Jesus's arrest. But he clearly had some kind of position of respect and authority because five of his sons, one of his grandsons, and now his son-in-law had become high priest after him. He's officially no longer in that role. And yet, clearly, he still has this kind of pull for his was the first stop. While that handoff is occurring, John turns our attention to what's occurring in the courtyard just outside of the high priest's palace. And he tells us that Peter has followed along from a safe distance and that accompanying him was another disciple. We don't really know who that second one was. We don't know if he was also one of the 12. We don't know if he was the one that John refers to elsewhere in his gospel as the beloved disciple we aren't told. What we are told is that this particular individual has connections that he was known to the high priest. And so this other disciple, as Jesus is brought there, he is able to pass on into the courtyard while Peter is left outside. So this other disciple goes up to the woman who is guarding the gate and has her open it for Peter. And she says to him, you also aren't one of his disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. John turns our attention back to what's happening inside as this interrogation unfolds. He tells us that Annas wants to know about Jesus' teachings and about his disciples, but we never hear any words from that high priest emeritus. What we do hear, though, is Jesus' response. As he says, I've taught openly. I've not taught anything in secret. I've been out in the temple. I've been out in the synagogues. Ask the people who, who have heard me what I've said. They can tell you what I've said. And a police officer strikes Jesus on the face. 
Is that any way to talk to the high priest? Jesus again calmly answers, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to what is true. But if I have spoken to the truth, why is it that you have hit me? And with that, Annas release him and sends him on his way to Caiaphas. We have one more shift in the narrative, though, as John takes us back out into the courtyard where we see Peter trying to stay warm around this fire. And some others who are there look at him and say, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. And then there's a relative of someone whom Peter had injured at the time of the rest. He pulled out his sword, cut out the ear of a slave, and it was that family member of that individual who said, didn't I also see you in the garden? Peter denies it again. And the rooster crows, just as Jesus had predicted. Next week, we will move on in the narrative and and hear of how then Caiaphas passes Jesus on to Pilate. But we stop at this moment this moment when everything seems to be going wrong, when the world that Peter and those disciples had known for three years now has dramatically changed. I think that's where we are as people of faith on this day, too. As we've continued to watch the news reports of the bombs falling in Ukraine, of buildings being destroyed, of people citizens leaving their homeland. We now are told that there are close to two and a half million people who are displaced, some internally, but most in surrounding countries. For those of you who grew up during the era of World War II, I'm sure that evokes images of of what Hitler did up to the time of that conflict. And yet, for many of us, these are images of countries being invaded of mass devastation, of people fleeing. Those are images that we'd seen only in black and white newsreels. I think for all of us, we had hoped that those days were gone. But now the events of recent weeks have made clear once again that the world is in a perilous place. I read an article yesterday by a name named Richard Fontaine, who's the CEO of a think tank in DC, focuses on national security issues. And as part of that, he says this about this new world in which we find ourselves. Leaders in many countries, he said, immediately understood that not only do Ukrainian lives and independence hang in the balance, but so too do broader principles of international behavior. World order, those institutions and rules that govern, if not always effectively, the conduct of nations, is very often taken for granted. Defense spending, alliances and military pacts, diplomatic deals, international economic arrangements are all easy to dismiss as the obsolete manifestation of a Cold War mindset or the hubris of U.S. leadership or the conceit of those who overlook the interests of average Americans, easy that is, until the foundations of international order shake violently. 
as they have with the invasion of Ukraine. The alternative to an ordered world and to countries shouldering the cost of its defense is the law of the jungle, where big countries can take territory, impose their rule, and spread chaos at will. That, he says, is Mr. Putin's world. Dozens of countries are combining to resist it and to preserve and extend the principles that have done so much to create peace, prosperity, and freedom for well over a half century. Those are the stakes in Ukraine. The outcome remains uncertain. The events at the high priest's palace also reflect an uncertain moment in the first century. For Annas was willing to have this, this mock trial just so that he could do away with Jesus and the threat that he posed to his understanding of God. Peter was looking on in fear and horror as the world that they had experienced with Jesus for three years was now disintegrating before his very eyes. And as we know in this narrative, things do get worse. But what we also know is that ultimately it revealed God still to be sovereign. For in a way that Annas could not stop, in a way that Peter could never have anticipated, God brought about a transformation, not only in that moment, but in our lives too. And so when, when we think about what is happening on the world stage right now, and we naturally want to do something, the question is, where do we begin? One place that I would suggest to you is with this affirmation that I heard from Vladimir Zelensky, the courageous president of Ukraine, who a week into the invasion recorded this video message for Vladimir Putin in which he said, even if you destroy all our Ukrainian cathedrals and churches, you will not destroy our faith our sincere belief in Ukraine and God, belief in people. And so it is that I think Professor Gingles once again points us to the way forward. In this complex situation, he said, the place to begin the search for clarity is in ourselves and our own deeply held convictions about God and the world. This means that our immediate action should take the form of prayer more than of politics. We likely cannot know if our action or inaction is pure, or if we are genuinely loving our neighbors, much less our enemies. But what we can do is open ourselves to the real God, who at the same time stands in judgment of all historical action and offers grace to those who must act. Let us do that right now. Let us pray. Loving and sovereign God, 
our heart breaks, as does yours over the events in Ukraine. We pray for peace. We pray for your will to triumph. Even if in this moment, we cannot see how that will occur. Still, we trust in you and pray that you will guide us and all creation toward your purpose. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.